Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. Well, good morning, Mike. Well, good morning, Pat. <laughs> Pat and I are getting our mouths back in shape. We haven't done a podcast in... I think it's been a month. I think we had, yeah, at least three weeks off. Man, you and look how you've aged. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the wisdom. It's just coming through. <laughs> anyway, so our, our lips are not... Uh... <laughs> not as well rehearsed. <laughs> so for listeners, we'll, we'll remember great Robin Williams... If anybody remembered when he said, my lips, my lips, he said that was a problem when uh, Mick Jagger drove in a convertible, his lips would flap in his face. My lips, my lips. <laughs> there we go. Uh, all right, we're underway. <clears throat> and with that, we'll drastically change course on our topic today. <laughs> well, no, I, I wanted to, I wanted to hear your thoughts. You know, you, you're, uh, you, you do a good job of providing a lot of, uh, you know, historical lens. And uh, as you always say, you stand on the shoulder of giants. And so I'd, I'd be curious what the giants before us uh, have said about this. Um, but it's really this topic of sadness. And I'd like to talk through it uh, because I had a conversation recently. And in that conversation, um, you know, the, the person I was talking to was was sort of expressing sadness, but I noticed they they tended to talk in a way that I've caught myself talking, which is this sort of you know trying to make sense of why they were sad, you know, what led to that point. But it was almost so that you know there was this sort of like reverse engineering of sadness, so that it could be avoided, because hmm. sad you know, sadness is not what we want to experience. And, and I, in that very moment, I had this like spark of, ah, oh, huh. You know, particularly with today and, um, a lot of the mental health issues that, that we have out there, um, they, you know, it just sort of started to, to get caught up in that whirlwind, but it made me think of sadness. It, you know, is that something that we ought to avoid? Um, I've had a thought in the past more of, you know, is there is there a thread of sadness that ties into uh, this is actually what we ought to feel you know in in a world full of sin why are we not always sad um and so maybe there are hints of that that thread that we experience um but then just personally i found something about embracing sadness more helpful for me where instead of trying to avoid it or do that reverse engineering um, I've, I've even said to my wife at times, you know, she's, she's asked, you know, what's going on? She's noticed something is off. And I've just said, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of sad. You know, I think maybe this or that is, is, is making me sad, but I just need to be sad for a little bit. You know, I just, mm -hmm. I just need to sit in it. Um, I'm, I'm not trying to get out of it. And I, I've actually, something about embracing that has actually been more liberating for me. Yeah. Um, so it, all these things hint me at maybe we've lost something or we misunderstand something, you know, and, and particularly, as, as believers. So wanted to, yeah, wanted to understand that. What do you think? Well, it's, uh, I, I think it was, a, there's a lot there. Let's see if we can unpack it. Um, sad or sadness is, um, 
what the scriptures call lament. And, uh, I, you know, let's, we'll just turn dial slightly uh, and then talk about it. I think that the, uh, the God makes a case for us to allow sadness to enter our body rather than try to us to embrace it. Mm. I think we, we, we live in a world today where we're not apt to embrace it. So I would say, let it enter your body. And there's a fascinating study on this, by the way, uh, in terms of why I say entering your body. It was done in the uh, in 2013 in the Journal of uh, Frontiers and Psychology. And they had uh, conducted an experiment with 44 participants and asked them to listen to uh, one of three musical excerpts. But they were all in the minor key, which, as you well know, that's typically associated with sad music. Mm -hmm. And a participant would listen to an excerpt and then answer a question like, how do you feel when listening to this music? Then the participants were asked to listen to a happy version of the same excerpt. In other words, it had been transposed uh, into a major key and answered the same question. So here's a fascinating thing. You never, probably, I'd never guess what's the benefit of sad music. In other words, uh, what do the people say they felt that didn't come with happy, upbeat music. You mean when they were listening to the yeah. liner? Mm-hmm. Uh, huh. uh, maybe, I would guess, elements of remorse or, I don't know, more internal related feelings? Yeah, internal related. And the, the researchers called it this. They said they experience vicarious emotions. And what what do they mean by that? Well, the sad songs have a sobering effect on listeners and cause them to more deeply care about the sorrows of others. Huh. And wow. they found they short circuit self centeredness and consumerism. Oh, how so? It's the magic of music. Wow, that's wild. Which, by the way, in scripture, there's a rich loam of lament literature, often songs or the Psalms. And there too, when they were sung, it was so that listeners would go, I feel what the exiles in Babylon felt. Oh, what a terrible, terrible, terrible thing they had done for 500 years. And as we read, we sat on the rivers of Babylon and we wept. We had missed the boat for 500 years. You know, think of Job also. After he suffered the loss of his sons, his daughters, his livestock, his servants, <laughs> he's stuck with a screwy wife and stupid friends. <laughs> so I see, and that's exactly what I said. I did that for, on purpose. I, I shared it in an upbeat way. And what we feel is, hmm, that's a humorous way to put it, Mike. Mm. Hmm. But he doesn't throw a pity party. 
he tears his robe, shaves his head, falls to the ground, and pours out this sorrowful lament. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Here's, here's what I want to, because I actually witnessed the difference here. So in 2002, right long before you were born, Pat, <laughs> uh, a famous Christian writer, we'll leave his name out, we don't want to beat up on him, but he released an album titled Where Angels Fear to Tread. And the second track included, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. You probably heard it. Mm. But regrettably, he coupled Job's lament with a lively tune. Blessed be the name of yeah, the Lord. Yeah. The song, songs hold like hotcakes, quickly becoming one of favorite both on airways and worship services. So, yeah. That's, I, I wonder how many people imagine as they're reading this, this is a man who's had scraped his body with clamshells because of the boils and has lost everything except his screwy wife and painfully pious friends who are telling him what he's done wrong. All right, friends like this, who needs enemies? <laughs> you don't get any of that. It's because we are part of, I don't know how far back this goes, Pat, but um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Flannery O'Connor. You familiar with Flannery? Yeah, I think you've mentioned him a few times. Her. Her. See, there you go. I'm not that familiar. <laughs> uh, I believe Flannery passed away at the age of 34. Uh, lupus, never married. Grew up in Midgelville, Georgia. Writer. Deep Catholic faith. Um, actually, had an opportunity to be, uh, attend the Iowa Writers Workshops, famous, famous workshops out there. Um, and of course, she wrote, if, you, if listeners, if you're not familiar with um, Flannery O'Connor, pick up the simple little book, A Good Man is Hard to Find. Take about 20 minutes to read it, won't give it away, but I think you'll read and go, oh my goodness, who is this person? Hmm. What a story. But uh, O'Connor, uh, toward the end of her life, talked about a prevailing heresy she called it in American Christianity. And she put it as it's a powerful penchant to keep things, quote, positive and upbeat. And hey, hey, one, two, here we go. And uh, turning sad songs into rousing worship tunes. But O'Connor warned that keeping things positive, quote, and she put it in quotes, causes Christians to forget the price of restoration. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, in other words, there's something about sadness that elevates or um, rightly places that, that understanding of uh, or comprehension uh, or experience of restoration. Yes. 
You know, you you we've talked a bit about it. So what was the price of restoration to restore Judah after 500 years of idolatry? I'm at a loss. Sure. You know, the loss, you know, <clears throat> 500 years, a nation. And so God brought the Babylonians. And they came down the nation. About. Now, Babylon was um, the epitome of evil, sinister. Also, though, uh, a very highly developed society. The hanging gardens of Babylon are considered to be one of the eight wonders of the, of the world. But uh, listeners, you might enjoy if you if you're not familiar at all, read the book of Habakkuk. Yes, that's a it's back 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 in the Old Testament. We call it the white pages because those pages never really get dirty. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Habakkuk is all PO'd about uh, what's going on, and uh, you know, what about these? The Chaldeans are also called the Babylonians, and he gets on the phone with God and says, "Do you? What are you doing?" And God replies, well, I do have a plan. Here's what I'm doing. They're going to come down and take you into exile. And you can just see Habakkuk pull his iPhone away to make sure he had the right number. <laughs> and uh, it's a fabulous story because uh, Judah appears to be doing fine. But it becomes a lament. Here's the power of a lament. And I'll put in the graphic terms that Scripture puts it in. Because I actually, at a service many years ago, heard a woman saying, blessed be the name of the Lord, as a lament. Mm. She barely got through without weeping. I wept. Because the imagery associated with Job is the same imagery associated with, we sat on the rivers of Babylon and we wept. Now, why they weep? Well, God had warned them in the terms that you don't often hear in American Christianity. He warned the nation Judah. He said, they're coming down and they're going to destroy your temple. They're going to raise it to nothing. It's going to be taken down to rubble. So is the city. Your women are going to be raped. Now, by the way, that's in scripture. I'm not being unduly or unnecessarily graphic. It's the sort of thing that we, American Christianity, I call them as often the three monkeys. Hear no evil, see no evil. What's the other one? Speak no evil. Speak no evil. Well, maybe we're one out of three. <laughs> but, um, so Pat, you know, we're both married. Can you imagine what it would be like in three deportations, these, quote, savages, who actually have yeah. a very high society come. They slaughter your family. They rape your wife. They drag you away. And then in Babylon, God says, seek their flourishing. Yeah, that'd be devastating. That's why you have the... Uh, the lamentations. Now, this is what um, many people are not familiar with Michael Card, uh, Catholic priest. 
written many, many worship songs, lament songs. He calls lament the lost language of worship. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that. The, the, the idea that lament drives your soul, your spirit to a to a different different place of worship, different heart. Yeah. What it does is it, um, in listening to this woman saying, blessed be the name of the Lord, being sung as someone who she was vicariously feeling what Job was feeling. If you lost everything, it would be like um, visiting New Orleans a day or two after Hurricane Ida, and people there with nothing. Mm. And you see someone sitting on a roof of what's left of their home saying, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, how would it sound if you come in with your um, Bose speakers hooked up to your phone and going, hey, here's another way to think of it. Blessed be the name. Come on. Right. <laughs> Give, clap your hands. Clap your hands. Not, not the same effect. Not the same effect. It would also, it, 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 see, that's... I had, none of these are prepared thoughts, by the way, listeners. Uh, it would denote, I have no idea what you're feeling. I just know what I feel. And I feel what Flannery O'Connor, unknowingly I feel what O'Connor said, this is the prevailing heresy in American Christianity. Everything's got to be upbeat, positive, rousing, and when you forget the price of restoration, a lot like if you were to walk onto a used car lot and look at a $20,000 car and say, sure, I'll pay 3000 for that. You don't know the price of that thing. You don't know what it takes to have done that. We cheapen the faith. I'm old enough to remember a group called Jars of Clay. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Blast! Today's blast from the past day. <laughs> and uh, singer, songwriter Mark Odmark. Uh, I like a lot of the work they did. Um, it was many years ago now, but he wrote a song in response to the tragic death of a friend, and uh, called the Valley Song. Good imagery. And uh, he said uh, in an interview once, Christian radio stations refused to play it because they told him it wasn't happy enough for their audiences. They were told, he was told that Christians don't want sorrowful songs. They want songs that uh, Oddmark later on described as happy, 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 happy all the time. <laughs> Positive, family friendly. Yep. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so... This is the great loss, is um, sorrow and sadness sobers us. And there is um, a rich loam of scripture about being sober in our faith and keeping sober in our faith. And um, even to the effect that Paul's saying, um, 
Our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So Paul warned, or Peter warned, be of sober spirit. So I'd like to, this, I, I feel I've, I've somewhat stumbled upon sadness myself personally. And in a lot of ways, that has helped me be a little bit more resilient um, you know, I, I'd like to understand how have you seen, uh, almost, almost, like how have you seen others or yourself get to that point where sadness can enter your body and it mm -hmm. not be a bad thing and not be yeah. something that you want to run away from or, um, see, almost see as, as fear, fearful, uh, mm -hmm. of, of that sadness and, you know, what negative thing that can do for you? How, how does one start to, to, yeah, start to get to that point? Yeah, that's a good, uh, good question. So the, um, the oldest church here in Annapolis, if you were to visit, now this is the, the building is the third iteration, but I believe it's church is about 320 years old. And if you were to go in and you would see behind the altar a large uh, wood carved paneling behind it, and you would see on each, uh, on each side, you would see that a rose has been carved, a rose that is opened. You know what that's to depict? I'm going to guess something of the opening of our bodies in submission or something. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you're in the suburbs, uh, the opening <clears throat> and why would, uh, why, why opening the body? What is you're right. You're right next door to the answer. Um, to receive because the church is the bride. There you go. There you go. See, by and large, it doesn't just trip off someone's tongue in American Christianity when you say, what is the church? Mm, you right. hear, well, it's a coalition of a community. Not of, a building. Uh, <laughs> not a building. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. It's not uh, yeah, about we're, we're probably... Okay, listeners, we're being, uh, what's it called? We're being satirical, not sarcastic. We're, <laughs> we're trying to... <laughs> You'll hear everything except... This is simple. We're the bride. And then, um, so what happens is, you're right, a, a rose that refuses to open, if it could do such a thing, would, would never, first of all, flourish, would never, never be reproductive, never be as beautiful never be as beautiful and so that depiction the rose you find throughout history is that um, that's why i was saying a, a rose doesn't reach out and grab things mm. a, robot, a rose attracts but it does that by opening and in opening you run a risk humanly speaking you don't there are no risks with god but there are 
Could there be a hailstorm that would destroy a rose? Sure. That would be sad. I think because we've lost the imagery of the church, the bride, we are the bride. And how do books like the Book of Lamentations and Job and the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. We have to, it has to become second nature for us. The first thing that trips off our tongues, i.e. Jesus said the man speaks from the heart, is that when we're unedited and unprompted, we simply say, we're the bride. And a bride opens her body to her husband. That's how you become one. Yeah, and, and you said it earlier a little bit, but but there there is, you know, it's, it's one of those odd paradoxes of the faith, which is, uh, you know, just speaking personally, it's just an anecdote, but the, the more I've found myself being open to, to those types, you know, feelings of sadness and really searching for the deeper lament that's, that's maybe behind that, you know, the more, uh, the depth of joy amidst sadness grows and gratitude grows and there's just there's something not only refreshing but but uh quite resilient about that especially today and, and right. the trends and the winds of, of culture as they kind of blow us in a direction there's really something quite powerful about the resiliency of of the faith in that regard mm. that's a good word i've never thought that's really because re resiliency is, by and large, not our strong suit. Yeah. yeah. I've seen some, well, I've just, here's a lament for me, and I thought about just, um, it was yesterday I saw um, uh, a vehicle go by, it was very similar to a friend who I saw come to faith in 1988. <clears throat> by, by and large, he's pretty much left the faith. And uh, he might still call himself Christian, but divorced his wife and blah 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 and uh, I lament that I feel sorrow and rather than you know try to glad hand it oh, things will work out in the end and blah 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 um, you see Pat we are supposed to be one with our husband who was called a man of sorrows yeah that's hard that's hard to do if you don't embrace or allow sorrow to enter. There you go. That's hard to do if you're not penetrated. Mm. That's actually the language of scripture. And um, see, we so bollocksed this up here in the Western world that we made it all active. You know, reach out, grab this, do this, do this, do this. There is obviously an active part. But I think sorrow, in particular, sadness, um, it has to be, it comes from being penetrated by her husband, a man of sorrows, 
who wept when he saw Jerusalem, which was a depiction also of his bride. And it would be like, because we're both married, you're being married to a wife who is a whore. That's, again, the language of scripture. And again, language that we, I, incredibly in the West, we're so uncomfortable to use. And I think it's because we've, in a way, have become so biased to the left hemisphere. We keep everything on the level of principles, concepts, and abstractions. Versus, you would weep, Pat. We would, I would weep. And I, I have wept over what is most likely going to be the fate of women and girls in Afghanistan. Yeah. It's not a concept. And that's why I rightly want to say, damn you. Damn those who can be so blithe about, well, let's move on to the next thing. We've got, we've washed our hands, got out of that. And um, well, yeah. it's just, we, we don't lament. It's a good, that's actually a really good example. The, yeah. Some of, yeah. some of the statements that are, I mean, if you want to see <clears throat> left brain versus right brain, just clearly evident and the detachment that the left brain can, can lead to, you know, it's yeah. just. So Ian McGilchrist makes an interesting, yeah, he makes more than interesting. Uh, if you read the master and his emissary, it's got so many levels of, yeah, I read and going, OMG, OMG. So he will point out it is only in the right hemisphere that we empathize. And so if 95% of the population in the Western world biases the left, then it's not going to be a given. And so you'll read about, you know, a flood in Tennessee, you'll read about something in hurricane in uh, Louisiana. And then when she calls that article, you go, wonder what's for dinner. <laughs> you know, in this town, you'll read about, um, a one population, the Hispanic, being really gutted by the pandemic because they're in these kinds of industries. And um, so it's, um, you know, a year and a half of uh, being involved in the work that we're doing. I was going to see the other day because we had a weekend and we were both short on volunteers. <laughs> and uh, these have really become good friends. And most of the people who remained um, don't seem to be people of faith. And and one uh, and that woman looked at me one time. She goes, "Hey, what happened to all those religious people who used to show up?" Wow. And uh, I just said, "Well, you know, it's a busy weekend, so I, I made some excuse." But I thought that uh, it's fascinating that in the early first four centuries, the most popular topic by the church fathers and doctors and doctors was on the virtue of patience. Patiently enduring, patiently persevering, patiently working for the shalom of a city. Now I don't see much perseverance in our faith because I don't see much patience. And the patience comes from, in part, 
empathy. You simply, for my case, so for me personally, you go work at a pantry and some two to three hundred families come through it and you go, would you like to live this way, Mike? I go, no. That's right. That's called solidarity. It's what's called in churches and ancient traditions. And if you don't want to live that way, but you feel that, then patiently work and persevere to see if God might use you, use us, to build a, a life that you yourself would want to live. This is all wrapped around sadness. So, Mike, I'm curious what you would say, because I, uh, I, I, I took a shot at this <laughs> you know, in, in talking to this person. But, you know, the simple question of, yeah, but Mike, I don't want to I don't want to feel that. Why? Why would I do that? Like, that sounds that sounds miserable. You mm. want to be sad. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, as on on one hand, sure, there's a the notion of well, if, if you don't want to receive, then that's like there's not really much you can do to open that rose. But what would you say in response to to that question? Sure. Well, this the simplest is um, it goes back to again, we're the bride. As a bride, are we saying? our husband, we don't want to feel what you feel. We don't want to be one. Yeah. Not at that yeah. level. Right. But I think, I think that may be the answer is, well, if that's what you're saying, I'm going to feel sadness, then yeah, I don't want to be one with that. Not with that. I want an upbeat, positive, therapeutic, mm-hmm. someone who feels what I feel. Mm. Like that, again, listeners, we're making this up. We're not reading from a script. But I think we, you just helped me hit on something here, Pat. You know, Christian Smith at Notre Dame has done the best research on this, but we've talked about it before. He says, for most people, the gospel is what he defines as moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralistic is... God's a nice person who wants me to have a happy life. Therapeutic is, I want him to feel what I'm feeling. And deism is, he's somewhat distant. There's a lot of gaps in the universe. I've got a lot of freedom. I can choose to do this and that. But I'm saved. And Jesus died for my sins. And when that, is that, Smith feels that's the prevailing gospel. We just don't put it that baldly. But because of that, it's more important for us that Jesus feels what we're feeling rather than we as his bride feel what he's feeling. That's why sad songs are so helpful. There may be nothing we can do about women trapped in Islam apart them apart from pray. But holy smokes, I never want to be in a league 
that dis- that diminishes prayer. How many people do you know are saying, "Let's remember the women and girls today and this week in prayer who are now trapped inside of Taliban rule?" Because I'll guarantee you this: having read, let's see again. Unfortunately, my only experience has been, well, I have traveled to those countries, but reading books like reading Lolita in Tehran and Kite Runner, it would seem to me any man or woman with a lick of empathy would say, I would never want to live in that society. So, you know, I think one of the things that's that draws me into a lot of what you say, Mike, is um, actually it's it's quite interesting to contrast with. I, I don't know if you've listened to this podcast, but um, there's currently uh, I listen to it on Spotify, but there's a there's a podcast on Mars Hill and uh, and the rise and fall of Mars Hill Church. Quite quite a, a listen for sure, hmm. um, but. One of the things I like about it, what it really kind of calls out is the, you know, the call and the critique of some of these, you know, um, this would probably be more of an evangelical movement in terms of classification, but the call of these movements to do it better than it's been done before. And I've sensed that myself as an evangelical, you know, you often sense that in discussions about Catholics in in some of those circles where it's sort of this anti-Catholic zeal or anti-tradition zeal. Mm-hmm. And what I continually am encouraged by when we have these conversations is, uh, you know, while admittedly some of your, your critique can rub, the call of your critique regularly leads to and we've we've talked about it here, but it leads to lament, and leads to really, you know, what we talked about today, sadness. It doesn't mm-hmm. lead to an overthrow of the tradition or the new way to do X or the way to really truly live out a pure gospel, you know, better than the rest. It's a call to lament, mm-hmm. and I don't know what's after that. And we've, we've had conversations where I think a lot of ways I've realized that that may be where it rightfully ends for now is lament. And I, I just, you know, I appreciate that. I appreciate the, the, uh, bridge to humility that you create with that. Well, it's, yeah, I agree. I agree. And thank you. Uh, You know, Jesus, a man of sorrow, but for the joy set before him, endured all this shame. So for, at least for me, now my age, the joy set before me, um, I feel the emotion right now, is that uh, this isn't doom and gloom. I, I, I hate all the ways these things go south or go so rotten or go off the ancient path. Mm. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. 
Because they're in Jerusalem, he had to look around every day and go, holy smokes. Oh my God, Why? how could we have missed this for so long? He didn't. But he was talking about the nation. And Isaiah, Isaiah who wrote, your creator is your husband. And um, you just... Uh, so what am I getting at? What I'm getting at is this, is um, scripture is just saturated with sadness. I would think Father, Son, Spirit, with the fall, watching the whole ball of yarn just unravel would make you just incredibly sad. Because not sad for themselves. It isn't a pity party. It is, oh, my pride my pride and so you have the whole book of Hosea now if you read Hosea and put it to upbeat music there's something seriously wrong with your brain <laughs> and so I find that so Pat I have I have allowed those scriptures to penetrate me God to penetrate me God those are his words, but I don't want to become idolatrous that it's it's his word. Crying out loud, there's a person behind these words. And so for my husband to penetrate me, to feel, what do it feel like if you and I, Pat, were washed up on the shores of Babylon, deported, thrown off a ship, in chains, as slaves, back home our wives have been raped and murdered, and we get a letter from Jeremiah, God speaking to us through that prophet saying, you'll be here for 70 years. Pat, that means you and I are not going home. How do you feel? And so I feel there's been a lot of literature written on Western Christianity. We are now in exile. Charles Taylor, we've read his book. We, we read it a lot, although he says a whole lot. <laughs> but he says, you know, year 2000, we were entered into exile, our post-Christian world. And James Hunter says the same thing. Well, let's just say that's true. That means in 2070, there might be a return to the ancient churches of ancient foundations. So what does that mean? 2070, do the math. It means I won't see it. So does that mean I throw a pity party? No. Here's what it does mean. I have my ears tuned every time I hear someone use all these adverbs you just mentioned. Okay, this one's really going to be the New Testament church. This one's really going to be really. When I hear really, I go, there we go again. That person does not feel sad. Mm -hmm. That's probably the story of Mars Hill. But it's the story of our lives. And... Um, so for me, it is to look all the way down to 
six and seven and eight year olds who bound in and out of this house and uh, younger people and say, I'm going to invest in them. But I'm not going to say to them, and this is really going to turn the corner, really going to, it's going to be return. Return to the ancient paths. Return. Your parents probably won't. So the Gen Xers probably won't. The boomers, by and large, probably won't. So we're generation probably won't. We're 50 years out. I think it's a I think it's a very good time, 50 years, to invest in the younger generations to help them return. Drop the adverbs. Use the verb that's found in scripture. And I think you'll join more of what God's doing. Because this is what God did in the Exodus too. They screwed up so royally that God finally said, you see this generation? Yes. You're all going to die. You're not going in the promised land. What? That's right. So what are we going to do in the next 40 years? Well, those who are sorrowful will prepare. Otherwise, all you're going to do is conduct funeral services. And you're going to bury him in the sand. You're going to do that until the very last one's dead. And then the next generation I will take into the promised land. <laughs>